This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. Growing up with asthma is interesting. In the media, it's more often than not used as shorthand for weakness, awkwardness, or undesirability. And well before I ever read Lord of the Flies, I learned that showing my struggle was a bad idea. As a kid, playing tag was always one of my least favorite activities, as it would usually lead to me gasping for air while my classmates taunted me for being unable to tag any of them. On a few occasions, my more aggressive peers would get physical, kicking at my legs and running away to rub in my inability to keep up. Suffice to say, I've never had much of a taste for bullies, though I suppose that's not exactly a hot take. In this week's story, teller C.P. Chang shares some of his experiences with bullies and how he used a simple mantra to help keep himself calm in these painful moments. Recorded live at Revolution Brewing in Chicago in April 2017, Second Story is proud to present Just Be Cool. I'm just a kid. I'm in the sixth grade. I'm a small boy, still wearing the sweater vest that my mother knit for me year-round, you know, in case it gets cold in the classroom. My glasses are the proverbial Coke bottles. It's just generally an awkward time for me. Today, I'm in the front row of music class. The chairs behind me lined up like pews. Mark is the bully sitting directly behind me. He and his friends are snickering at an inside joke, and it makes my spine clammy with worry. There are students on either side of me, but I'm basically alone. I don't have a lot of friends in sixth grade, and none at all in this class. The teacher is prepping her music sheets at the other end of the classroom, and Mark leans over to whisper in my ear, hey, do you know what the capital of Thailand is? I don't acknowledge him. I know enough by the sixth grade just to ignore and hope to be ignored. I can sense Mark checking that the teacher isn't looking before he answers his own question. Bang a cock, he says, reaching over and punching me in the crotch. I flinch but steel myself to avoid reacting. I just bite my lip and wait for the class to be over. 45 more minutes of hoping that the teacher doesn't turn her back again or haven't helped me leave the room. I am powerless. Tattling to the teacher would get me nowhere, just more bullying after class. Fighting back against bigger boys by myself didn't even occur to me. Mark thought he was so cool, giggling with his friends. I did my best to avoid him, which got easier when he became the victim of even tougher bullies. I'm a teenager. I'm 15 years old on a windy fall day, and I've spent the afternoon shooing off my 10-year-old brother while me and my friends were out shooting hoops. I've hit my growth spurt, such as it is, and while I'm not tall for a high schooler, I tower over my little brother. My friends have gone home, and as I walk into the house, a burst of wind slams the door shut behind me, right into my brother's face. I don't stop to look. There's some banging on the door, and then my brother bursts in, crying, You slammed the door on me. You locked the door on me. He runs at me while I'm contemplating the open refrigerator, 
his arms outstretched to grab me or something. I put one hand on his chest, okay, holding him off with an extended arm, not even breaking a sweat. He scratches my arm, shouting at me. I laugh at him. Seriously, I just laugh. I was in the right. I didn't slam the door on him. Of course I didn't lock the door on him. How else did he get inside? But when you have all the power, debating the truth isn't worth your time. Why bother arguing the facts with my spastic kid brother? I'm trying to throw him off me when our father comes storming around the corner. He doesn't bother to separate us. He slaps me hard across the cheek and then delivers an equally hard slap to my brother. My father doesn't care about who was right or who was wrong, just that his boys stopped this damn infernal fighting in his kitchen. My brother runs off crying, and after my father leaves, I stick my face into the fridge to cool it off. I didn't pick on my brother much more after that. I spent most of the next few years fighting with my dad until I finally left for college. I'm an adult. I have a home, I have a wife, I have a corporate job. I'm one of those telecommuters who stumbles to his computer in his home office in the morning, unshaven and unshowered. Today, I'm on a conference call with Kate, a woman who works for me, and Maria, the woman above both of us in the corporate hierarchy. And our manager, Maria, is not happy with Kate. This is it. This is your entire presentation. Maria practically sneers through the telephone line. Kate tries to explain what her thought process was, but Maria cuts her off. I'm not interested in your excuses. What the hell have you been doing with your time? Our manager doesn't feel threatening in person. Maria is a short Middle Eastern woman who can never make up her mind at restaurants. But on the phone, she has no fear and no compunction about using all of her power. She's overreacting to Kate's work, and I don't understand why. I interject on Kate's behalf, pacing in circles around my condo while talking through my headset. Hey, you know, Kate's project was harder than it looked. It's not bad what she put together. But Maria ignores me, talking directly to Kate. I hired you because I thought you were somewhat capable and could do this job. Kate's voice cracks as she struggles to reply. You can hear her trying not to cry on the phone. I'm speechless. Over Kate's fumbling, Maria asks icily, are you smart enough to do this job? Oh my God. I need someone to calm her down, someone Maria trusts to tug on her elbow and whisper in her ear, just be cool. I'm in high school. It's my sophomore year, not long after that refrigerator incident with my brother, and I'm walking down the school hallway. I turn a corner and spot Tim, a stoner who likes to mock my Chinese name. His girlfriend Jody is standing next to him. Jody, it turns out, is friends with my high school friends. Tim spots me, and I can see he's about to say something asshole-ish, something chinky sounding. I just know it. I'm getting sick of it. And I'm not as small as I was in the sixth grade, and Tim's not that much bigger than me, but I'm not much of a fighter. Plus, a fellow student, a timid Eastern European kid by the name of Attila, he got pushed around a lot, like me. And one day, he got fed up and actually fought back and got slammed into a locker, his jaw broken for his troubles. 
was wired shut for weeks. I'm headed towards Tim, trying to decide whether I'm going to fight back or just ignore it one more damn time. But before Tim says anything, Jody grabs his elbow and pulls down on it, and I'm close enough to read her lips. Just be cool, she says. Tim glances down at her, shrugs, and then pretends not to see me. I walk on by. That's it. It cost Jody so little to speak up, but it was everything. Be cool. Okay, I hear you. Plenty of folks do the wrong thing in the name of being cool. In my high school, you could climb the social ladder by laughing along when the nerds were picked on, when effeminate boys are harassed in gym, when racial slurs were used in jokes. But if you had the social capital, if you could be an ally, it went a long way to say to those in power, it's not that funny. Live and let live. Hey, just be cool. Be cool is what I need someone to say to my manager, Maria. I wish I could have said it to the bullies in sixth grade, to my unbrotherly 15-year-old self, and to my ever-furious dad. Anytime someone gets mean or abusive or phobic or ignorant to the entire state of North Carolina, maybe? Can't we all just be cool? Instead, the conference call ends abruptly when Maria has to get somewhere, and I hang up the phone thinking that someone, maybe me, probably me, should have said something. This story was curated by Amanda Delheimer, produced by Ali Drum, and directed by Lexi Saunders, with music and sound design by Nick Kawahara and the Salcedo Group. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Jeffrey and Joan Goldwater, Katie and Peter Hauser, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is, is the Second, Second Story Podcast.